Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. You know, tonight I have a special experience. I have self-invited myself to a uh, Kickstarter event. Recently, I had Joey Vigor on the show to talk about some of the success that he's had. And one of the things he mentioned was a Kickstarter support group that he works with that he set up. And I just went ahead and invited myself. So the episode tonight is an opportunity for us to sit down all together. I have joined the uh, support group. We're doing this via Skype, via an iPad. But uh, Joey, thanks for having me back. Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, very strange. So just so the audience can see what uh, in their minds, what I'm seeing with my eyes, as we're looking here, I've got Joey and I've got Peter, Matt, Roger, and Dan. Did I get everybody's names right? Yeah. Okay. Now all you guys, you're in the LA area and you come from a wide background of different places in your Kickstarter. Anybody here who's already done a Kickstarter, we know that Joey and Matt have did Chromos. What'd you guys call that one? Chaos. That's right. And did it very well. Peter, you're kind of new to this, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just here to get more information about where to start. Okay, and then, uh, Roger, you've done this before? No, never have. No, but you have one that's pending, right? That's, no. No? So Roger has already published a small print run of 1,000 copies, and he's thinking about a Kickstarter to maybe do a, do a second print run. Got it, got it. There we go. So the play, it's called Play 5. Is that what I'm seeing there? Yeah. Okay, perfect. And then, uh, Dan, what's your uh, tie to Kickstarter? At what point are you at? I just designed my very first game, so this will be my first time trying to use Kickstarter to promote it. It's a pirate game called Infamous, The Pirate Wars. Arg, Infamous, The Pirate. Okay, I like that. Pirates are always doing well. Uh, That's never, what I hope for. Yeah, never too many pirates. So as we get started here, we've got a wide range of experiences and exposure. I'm going to start and just ask a question. I'm going to start with Peter. Okay? Cool. Peter, sure. what do you know about Kickstarter? Just exploring it a little bit. So I know almost nothing about kickstarting a game, except I got a lot of good information from the last meeting. It's good to be around these guys because they know so much, and I'm just trying to absorb as much as I can while I'm here. What's your first impression then when you start to get ready? Do you have a board game idea already in your mind? Yeah, I have a board game. It's called Gods of Olympus. This is my board. And instead of uh, typical chess pieces, you have the uh, classic Greek gods, each with a special power that uh, you're moving around the board. Okay, and so when you launched this, was the first thing then to think about was, okay, I can do this because I think I can go learn about Kickstarter and make the game possible. Was that a thought process that you went through? Yeah, well, I want to see uh, what it it takes to kickstart a game. I think on its face, it looks kind of easy. You make a video, you post it on (laughs) Kickstarter, but everyone that I've uh, talked to says it's a lot harder than that. So... I just want to get a lot more information about how to do it. And we certainly had, and I'm going to have to second that, that it's a lot harder than it looks. Joey and Matt had a successful campaign that ended in February of this year, and it looked like it was easy. You guys raised $136,000, 1,600 backers. Your project's going to go uh, delivered into people's hands within the next month or two. How much of your life did it consume to really do that? Matt, what do you think? (laughs) We worked every day, all day for our entire Kickstarter. We went to conventions and trade shows for a year before the Kickstarter. We had, you know, blind playtest groups. We had lots of playtest groups at different areas in LA and also at the conventions we went to. We did tons of research, read up blog posts by Jamie, Jamie Stickmeyer, um, you know, Joey I know listens to Funding the Dream all the time. So lots and lots and lots of work. 
It sounds like it. And so I'm going to switch over to Dan. Dan, doesn't that scare you away? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of feel like I'm becoming more prepared by just, you know, being able to meet with these guys and get kind of leave the groundwork. I feel like I have an advantage actually when I approach this one because initially I did think it was going to be a lot easier. I had planned to already start my Kickstarter by now, but it was kind of a wake up call to talk to these guys and see, wow, you really got to put a lot in it to us if you want to have a chance of succeeding. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge, but, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I feel like I'm going to have, you know, a better chance of being successful, you know, by you know, taking these steps. When you say wake-up call, what was the wake-up? What was the, all this, the aha moment for you that made you realize that, uh-oh, maybe this isn't... For example, uh, Joey here put together a list of things you should be thinking about leading up to your Kickstarter, and it started a year in advance of launching. I thought, wow, you know, I was looking at four to six weeks to prepare for my Kickstarter, and he's planning this thing out a year ahead of time. So that was like the number one thing, I would say. Yeah. Okay. And then, Roger, you've got a game that already exists... Play Five. What process did you go? When did you publish this game? This was published about two years ago. And this was, so Kickstarter was around two years ago, but it still hadn't reached the awareness that it has today. And did you use Kickstarter to uh, publish this? No, not at all. So what was the process you went through to get this game uh, to market? First of all, playtesting it with uh, different conventions, attending different conventions, uh, not only uh, players, but also retailers and also uh, mass market uh, buyers. Those were the kinds of conventions that I went to to try to prepare for a game that would involve all the elements that would try to ensure more and more success in terms of sales. And then the, the funding side, where did the money come from? Well, I self-funded it. And since I had it made in China, it didn't seem like it was a, a terribly large expense that would devastate me if, it, if I were to lose it all, for example, and have a thousand games in my garage. <laughs> you wouldn't be alone with a thousand yeah. games in your garage. The game had enough uh, interest that if it took me 10 years to sell a thousand, I could probably do it. Right, right. And then it was two years ago. Was it published two years ago or did you start the process two years ago? It published uh, two years ago. And how has it been? Our design process took about five years. Okay. And how's it been? Those two between my uh, day job. Sure. Because we all, not very many people are making a living doing board games all by themselves, right? We all can't be Jamie Stegmeyer or James Matthew. Um, How's it been? These two years of trying to kind of to go that route of self-published and now getting it out there. How's the reception been? It's been pretty good. It's also been a learning experience for me because I come from a more of a service sector of the economy. And getting into the retail sector was totally new, a totally new experience, just from learning the whole structure of just how retail works. Right, the distribution channel. players that are involved in, in the different areas of what makes a game sell. Got it, got it. That, yes, sometimes that can be a, an eye-opening experience as well. I've asked you guys all the question. Do you have any questions for me that maybe I could answer for you? Gosh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think probably the primary thing that, that we would want – to know, I mean, we're all in different stages of our Kickstarter experience, but, you know, what advice would you offer somebody? Because I would say there's a lot of resistance that, that I've met when I meet people for the first time. This is only our third meeting, but I feel like there's always resistance from a first-time game designer to being willing to dramatically change their design to fit the market, would you recommend being willing to do that? Or do you think that being 
super confident in your design and and uh, kind of plunging ahead is another viable strategy. So that's a multi-layered answer, and it really depends on your goals and your motivations. If your goal is to make money, then why in the world would you not change this based on advice on how that will increase the ability for this product to sell? I mean, if that's your goal, to go into this and make a living, then you should make products that sell. Oftentimes, though, in the board game space, people say that, but in reality, what they're more interested in is this motivation of taking a piece of creative work and seeing it realized. Roger, you're kind of in that boat, that you had this idea and you're like, you were willing to take that risk, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, it just seemed like a fun thing to do. Right. (laughs) A fun thing to do. Now, Just to see if you could do it. Right. And just literally. And so, uh, Joey, to answer your question, Roger's answering it perfectly. If Oftentimes, people are motivated just to say, you know what? I've got a job. I do my normal thing. I just want to see if I can do this thing. Then it's, okay, does it matter if I'm beholden to the design or is it all about the, the publishing, right? Then you have to ask yourself, what question is this? Now there's the other piece, and that is the what we kind of refer to as the starving artist, right? That's the person who really wants their art to be recognized. They don't care if the, about the pro- learning the process and they don't care about making any money. They have something that was formed in their mind or head or in their spirit and they want that to see manifested in the, in the real world. That person then is going to say, no, I'm not going to change this. I want to make a pirate game. You know, Dan's got a pirate game. I don't want to make a car racing game or a farming game. This is what I want. This is what I dreamed of and I won't be satisfied internally, in, excuse me, inside internally until I see my vision realized. So Joey, that's why it's a very multifaceted answer because it all depends on the motivation of the person. But let me say something. Oftentimes we forget that games, when we make games or we make any retail product, to go back to Roger, we're not the ones that determine its value. The market determines the value of your creation. And that means that there's a strong possibility that your value valuation of your idea does not match up with the market's idea of your valuation. And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to create something of value for someone else and not just necessarily yourself? And oftentimes, not present company excluded, oftentimes people who are really beholden to their idea are more focused on how it makes them feel and the satisfaction it brings them, not necessarily the satisfaction or joy that it's bringing to the market that they're delivering it to. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I wanted to pass, pass the mic to Dan for a second because, you know, three meetings ago, uh, I asked him, okay, where do you stand with your design? He said, oh, it's, it's, it's basically done. I already have most of the art done. <laughs> now, the last time we met, he said, I completely redesigned the game. Oops. And then apparently he's redesigned the game again for tonight. <laughs> yeah, I like, you know, this game, this first game uh, is, I, want, I really want to uh, experience the learning process and, you know, try to make as good a game as I can. I'm not, you know, married to any particular mechanic or theme. You know, I wanted to be pirates because it's not like a cool idea, and I actually thought that would be marketable. But, yeah, I've already redesigned it twice from feedback I was getting from playtesting and, and also just from these meetings. So I'm trying to find a balance. But at the same time, I'm only making changes that I feel are actually improving the game. So, you know, I feel like it's, uh, you got to, hold on to a little bit of what you like about the game and why you're doing it in the first place. You know, what makes it fun? Why are you passionate about it? But at the same time, it has to be good, you know, and right. you don't know that until you get it out there and start playing it with other people who don't really care about you. They just want to care about a good game. You know, and 
think about, Joy and I had a conversation earlier in one of my earlier episodes about children and their, the wonderment that they have. So when a child creates a game, what do you think is motivating them? Well, fun. Fun. Right? Does it have to be the best game they can make? Well, it, I mean, they probably think it's the best game that's ever been made. They might. And probably. do they really want you to point out that it might not be? No. Really? No. I mean, I have a nine-year-old daughter who just made her first game. And I, they're looking for approval, you know? Right. They're looking for approval that they, and this goes back to Roger kind of said, that they did this thing. And whether it's good or bad, in their case, is in the eyes of a beholder. They did not make that to satisfy anybody else, but really themselves and their own sense of fulfillment. So kudos to you, Dan, that you're taking the time to learn not just, hey, I designed this game, I'm really in love with it, but hey, I designed this game and now I'm dealing with how do I accept and deal with uh, input that causes me to go back and change what something that I thought I had created. And, and that's a I'm great that process. It kind of motivates me. It's like, you know, oh, this is a way to make it better. That's right. Way to make it better. For the better product. So I'm th- so proud of it. You can actually, you know, to me, it becomes a more of a collaborative experience. Write for a living on Forbes.com. And one of the things that I have to remember myself, I think it's Mark Twain who said it, that the first draft of everything is crap. I believe, I believe that's the, it's a different word he used. Yeah, yeah. He didn't use the word first? Oh, no, no. no. Oh, no, that was the last word. Yeah, right, right. No, I, right. T- I, I, right. I heard it was a different word, but I heard it was Hemingway who said that. Oh, that's right. I think it was Hemingway. I was, I was trying to remember if it was Hemingway or Twain. So, yes, I think you're right. And, yes, he did use a different word than crap. If, you, if you're familiar <laughs> with Hemingway, he was quite uh, colorful in language. But it's also the same true for board game design. And oftentimes what the definition of a first draft is is that, Dan, you're on your third – iteration of this game, but it still might not have even reached its first draft, right? The first draft might be the prototype that you put together. Roger, I don't know how many versions you went through before your game got put out there, but many, yeah, many. And uh, you have to be comfortable with the fact that, you know what? I'm not putting out anything that first time is just a checkbox. Did I do it the first time? Yep. All right. That was crap. Let me go back to it and try again. So that's a, that's a, a key piece to remember. And I'm designing is redesigning, just like writing is rewriting. It's, yeah, and I hate rewriting, so I hate designing. So that uh, I, I will say the the first iteration, an earlier incarnation of Chaosmos was was something that I made when I was a kid, and I believed in the purity and the sort of inspiration behind it. But as I learned more about games and as I got older, I kept kept retooling the design until it was quite a bit different, but ultimately that same spark and the thing that, that inspired me when I was a child is still present in this game. It's just now a kick-ass game. Right. It just looks significantly different, but the passion and the element and the spirit of the, what was there originally is still there. What other questions can I answer for you? I had a question. You know, want to get your game out there. How do you know when you're ready to stop playing with the rules and put it out there to the public? And then what's a good first step to get feedback like we're talking about. So that's a great question. The reason that's a great question is because you never feel you're ready. Even after you've put it out there, you never feel that it's ready. And one of the biggest challenges, particularly for a Kickstarter project is pushing the launch button because you're just like, Oh man, there's just one more thing we can do. Oh man, there's just a little bit more I can do. Oh, I could just do this. I could set it over here. And that's a really, that's a, that hesitancy, that fear to push that launch button and get it out there really drives, um, It's not a procrastination, but a hesitancy just to commit because you've always can make it just a little bit better. And so that's actually reaching a point where you have to tell yourself it's good enough. 
So it's the actually opposite of, what, of kind of what you implied with your question, and that is, is there a standard that you can have in your mind, and when it reaches that standard, I've arrived, no problem, it's done, and you can get rid of it. Nope, you literally have to, like a child leaving home, you have to reach a point where you're like, you know what, I'm just going to have to cut the cord and let it go, and now it's in other people's hands. So that's a very difficult position to arrive at. Matt, uh, Joey, you guys kind of had, did you have that similar experience? Yeah, we, we actually were going to launch in mid-November of 2013, and we thought, gosh, you know, not only do we not want to have to deal with paying the taxes on our Kickstarter money that the next year, but we, much more importantly than that, we didn't think we were ready. And even though we were three weeks away from our launch, and we had already told everyone, oh, you know, we're going to launch on November 15th, it took no effort to email our backer or potential backers and say, oh, by the way, it's going to be January 2nd now. And they're like, great, no great, problem. Great, no problem. It's not like we lost a backer because of that. In fact, we gained many more because now we were prepared. We had our reviews prepared. We got our, our prototypes out to the reviewers, and that made a huge difference. We got to re- retool our rule book, which we really, 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 really needed to have our rule book in a better place than we were originally. And by, by having our rule book much better when we launched – it made a huge difference. People would say, oh, these guys are serious. Yeah. So, Peter, to answer that second half of that question, kind of where, what resources can you get to, they're actually in some ways combined. And that is, unlike a few years ago, when so many of the Kickstarter projects that you see out there were kind of making it up as they went along, you have a tremendous amount of resources at your disposal that never existed before. My podcast is often cited as one because of the great guests over the years that uh, have come on and been willing to share their wisdom. Jamie Stegmeyer's blog, James Matthews' blog, and the list can go down. The Facebook groups, the Twitter followers that you can follow out there that, that are sharing their wisdom. There are so many resources, but now there's more and more additional resources rather than just talking to people. And that is, for example, JT Smith over at The Game Crafter. The Game Crafter now allows you to create a prototype at every stage of the game. At any point, no matter how soon it's developed, oh, I think I'll make a prototype. Boom. Two weeks later, you've got a game and you can literally play it. Is that what we got there, Dan? That's a game. Cr- box. Right? <laughs> I was on the phone with JT last night and we were talking extensively about the impact that his service has had on the Kickstarter board game space. You have now one of my guests. Dang it. He's going to be upset. I can't remember him. He now does board game rule book reviews. That's all he is. I think it's boardgamereviews.com or something like that. Board game. Yeah. Rulesreviews.com. Something right? They'll literally take each piece of that and break it down. So there's a tremendous amount of resources out there, lots of things that people can do to help out. And so one of the nice things that you have is that you can just start, go go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to LinkedIn, go to all these different places, go to support groups that might be in your area. Oh, hey, that one worked. Variety of things that you can do that helps you. They will tell you at what point your project's ready. And oftentimes that's what happens. People are like, no, 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 you're good to go. You're like, no, one more thing. No, you're good to go. Hey guys, we're out of time. The show lasts 20 minutes. We, we just hit the 20-minute mark. I want to say thank you very much for coming on the show and, and doing a little Q&A. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've been listening to Funding the Dream. My guests have been – actually, I've been their guest. It's the Kickstarter support group or users group in the Los Angeles area. Joey, Peter, Matt, Roger, and Dan have answered and asked a few questions. We've had a great time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work, and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.